Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Thank you so much, friend, for tuning into Infertility and Me podcast. I am your host, Monique. And if this is your very first time listening to the podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. Infertility and Me pod emphasizes the emotional, mental, and spiritual healing along your path to parenthood, where we connect and heal together. A few quick announcements before we begin. If you could do me the honor of leaving a five-star review and feedback for the podcast, I will be so, so honored and it will help to spread the message of connecting and healing together through infertility awareness and advocacy. If you'd like to have a question, comment, or feedback featured on the podcast, Text 443-569-0642. Again, that number is 443-569-0642. If you'd like to support the podcast, click below where it says support podcast in today's show notes. And if you'd like to order your own exclusive merch made by me personally, Infertility and Me podcast merch, you can click the link below to purchase your mug that says, Dear Future Baby, We're Ready. I have another mug that says, Dear Infertility, I am no longer scared of you. I also have phone cases for the men and it says, Men need healing too. Get your merch, support the podcast, text me your comments, questions, and feedback so we can further engage and also help one another out. Thank you, TJ, for being here with us today on the podcast and talking about being the supportive spouse during infertility and IVF treatment and all that that entails. So I appreciate you so much for giving us your time today. Thank you for having me. And I want to start with you guys' diagnosis and, you know, how long had you guys been together and married and everything when that when you're trying to conceive really began? So my husband and I actually uh, had known each other since we were six years old. Okay. We grew up in the same church together, but we didn't start dating until um, our officially dating our senior year in high school. And so fast forward, we got married in on September 13th of 2008, really young. And we wanted to wait until, you know, we've had a chance to enjoy our marriage. So yeah. we waited for about four years before we started trying. And I had had issues with cysts and fibroids. So I knew it would take at least a year because I had taken birth control to suppress the cysts and fibroids. So I knew to wean myself off of that, I knew it would possibly take a year. But then when it started turning into more than 12 months, went back to my doctor um, in 2013. And my doctor said, well, you know, all of your tests came back fine, but your husband should get checked. Mm. And so, you know, husband was like, you know, what could be wrong with me? Like it never crossed our mind about there being an issue with my husband. Mm. And prior to that, we had never heard of male infertility or no one talked about it. Um, that we and we nothing ever crossed our mind. So when he went to get the semen analysis, the nurse called back with the results and told us that they didn't find any sperm. And at first, I like I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what do you mean? What do you, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. um, and she, you know, she told us. Then uh, she told me 
did not, you know, we were dealing with male factor infertility and that the doctor wanted my husband to come in to talk about next steps. So that's when we found out about our infertility. Okay. Okay. And you said how long had it been since you, you guys were married when that, when that came about? Uh, we had been married five years. Okay. Okay. You guys have been quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys, that first five years is hard. So that, that probably <laughs> in, black, in hindsight was a blessing that you guys waited. You know what I mean? Because the first five years can be rocky sometimes. So when you guys got the diagnosis, walk me through and walk us through that a little bit and, and paint the picture for us, dear. It was like somebody punched me in the stomach. I couldn't believe it. I, I felt like we had done everything right. You know, we followed the formula. Uh, you know, we didn't have a child before we got married. You know, we did all of these things and we just felt like it should have been a natural progression for us to have a child. So for me, I was angry. Uh, and we're, we're a Christian faith. So I'm just kind of like, okay, God, are you testing us? You know, what, 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 what's happening here? And for my husband, now in hindsight, I understood how he was processing, but he kind of shut that emotion off. So as soon as he found out whether to show emotion, he just cut off completely emotionally. Mm. And so um, it was difficult to really navigate his feelings and emotions because I didn't know how he was processing and I wanted to have a baby. So I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing to, to, to try to have this child. But emotionally, I, I, and I got jealous of, of mm -hmm. friends. Mm -hmm. um, jealousy was a part of it because you look around and you see all these people, your friends and family um, having babies so easily and some people even like taking it for granted in my mind and you are not able to have it and then people questioning you with uh us being married for so long no why aren't you having kids what's the problem and my husband didn't want to tell anyone mm -hmm. so of course naturally they thought it was me that was the issue because society paints it as the woman are always has the issue with infertility um and that would make him angry or frustrated and then um, it's just the constant having to go in to try to figure out what would be the next step in order for us to become parents. We did the Clomids. We did the um, HCG shots. He had a testicular biopsy to see if they could find sperm in the testes, and they didn't. So failed surgery, failed medication, um, and nothing was working. And I got angry at God. I stopped going to church, stopped praying. Mm. Because I just, um, I did, I did not have the will to continue because I felt like the world was being unfair to us. Mm. I, I felt like we deserved to be parents. So those were kind of the emotions and it, it, it was different every day. I, mm. it, it was a different emotion every day. Um, and then try to be happy for the world, put on a good face for the people in the world was even harder than just breaking down somewhere because you you, you didn't have a space where you could just be with people because you didn't want people in your business. Yeah. So um, that was difficult as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if, if you, if you can, and if you will allow us to understand more what it was like for you as a supportive spouse, when your husband has the diagnosis. In retrospect, I don't know if I was that supportive and I, I you know, it, you look on the other side and you feel like you were being supportive, but now in talking to my husband, I was not being what he needed. I think as a wife and as a woman, it is very difficult. I, I paint this picture of watching someone die in front of you, watching their light die, but, but they're still breathing. 
And that's what I had to watch with my husband. But in the meantime, I also had to lick my own wounds, you know, and process my own feelings. And I, you know, wanted him to talk to me. He didn't want to talk. Um, I wanted him to go do medical procedures and, you know, he was reluctant to go take new medication. And so the support I wanted to give, I felt like I was giving really was a little bit selfish because Mm -hmm. I wanted a baby. So if I do X, then maybe he will do Y for me instead of just being present for him and giving him time to process on his own. Because, you know, I felt like time was not on our side. Uh, We were running out of time. I mean, we, you know, by that time, we were in our 30s and I really wanted to have a baby naturally. And so to have a baby naturally, my husband needed to take testosterone. Mm -hmm. He really needed to take synthetic testosterone because his uh, levels were so low. But because I wanted a baby naturally, he didn't take it. And so... I didn't realize at the time that I was actually killing him uh, to try to have a baby I was never promised. But here I had a husband that I vowed to love and I had already put the baby above him and the baby was not, never even here. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was already out of line and priorities with, you know, God, marriage, then kids. I had put all these kids that weren't coming to fruition over my husband and he was dying. And so I realized that I had not been there for him emotionally. Mm -hmm. I had not been there for him mentally, Um, but I had been there for him in terms of prayer because I I, I still had to find some way to pray, even when I didn't want to pray, whether that was through journaling and like, just God, why? I I think that, that could be a prayer. You know, you don't have to say words like, my crying sometimes was my prayer, like, please. Absolutely. Me. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Um, so I, I felt like I, that, that is the only thing I could do. But even in that, some of it was selfish because I wanted him to be fixed. Like, can't you fix him, please? Yeah. But really, I was the one that needed to be fixed in this, you know, grieving over unmet expectations. And so I would, I would say that at the time I was not supportive. It wasn't until um, we finally went to church and we, there was a sermon called uh, moving, how to move forward after a loss. Um, and it talked about grieving and mourning and those two processes are not, processes are not one and the same. Mm-hmm. And so after that discussion, he finally, my husband finally opened up to me and told me that he thought about committing suicide the first two years of finding out. And those were the years when I was like, you know, what's next after everything failed? What's next? What's next? What's next? Yeah, yeah. And um, he needed me and I wasn't there. And so it really, it really pricked me a lot because I, you know, in my mind, I thought about, I could have lost my husband and then I would have been without anything, you know, no child right. or no husband. And so that was a very aha moment for me. I think as women, you know, we want what we want and we want to be moms, but you know, my husband got lost in the process. You said something really powerful was that when you were putting him, and we're going to speak in terms of the Christian faith and the order of Christian faith and in in the household and God being the head, then the husband, the wife and the children. And when you started talking about putting the idea of children and the need and the want for children above your spouse, and kind of almost sounds like it may have been a little bit above God because you weren't, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, 
it sounds like maybe you weren't listening to your spirit oh, with patience. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Right. I don't want to offend you. So I'm trying to, no, <laughs> I'm trying to. No, absolutely. I mean, no, it is, you know, it is absolutely that. And I, you know, and I, and I think we get so, we get so engrossed in infertility because, because it's, it's, it's something that, you know, people around, you know, experience and you get so it can consume your whole life. Yeah. And infertility consumed my whole life until I could see nothing else. And so absolutely I put infertility over God. Not infertility, but this baby over yeah. God because I, I felt like it was God's fault. And mm-hmm. so I did not want to hear anything he had to say to me. That's there was nothing that God really, could say to me um, that would make me understand the barrenness of it all. Like I I, I can carry a child. You know, and you go back through the scripture where it says, you know, no one should be buried among you. And, you know, we're beautifully, wonderfully made. And I knew you before you were born. Well, if you knew this, then why did you let this happen to me? Yeah. And so having these conversations with God and, you know, I'm sure he's looking at me like, well, who are you? But at the time, you know, you didn't realize I, I, I was in the valley but I, I did not realize what the Valley experience would bring, but he knew. Mm. And so, you know, kind of look up to see that the Valley, you could, you can get out of the Valley. It's the other side. You just have, but you just want to be in the Valley going in a circle and that's fine. I'll let you do that. Mm. And so um, I, I think that the, just the idea of being a mom, um, one, one of my friends, my best friend, <clears throat> she said, do you want to be a, a mother? Or do you want to be pregnant? Mm. And I said, Oh, she said, yeah, because th- those are two different things. It sounds like you just want to be pregnant or do you want to be a mom? Mm. And I said, well, you know, <clears throat> motherhood is pregnant. She was like, no, no, no. Mm. Ask yourself that question. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so that was a, a, a very much a wake up call for me. I was still angry at her because I was like, well, you got to do both, you know, at the time. But I, I had put I had put this baby in this infertility and just um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a planner. And also, I, I believe that anything I set my mind to, I can do it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when I, when you don't have control mm-hmm. over something, it, it was very frustrating for me. So um, I was definitely all out of alignment with everything yeah. because of a baby. Yeah. And that's real talk. But that's, you know, that's that, you know, we, we, we we're given wisdom. We're taught wisdom from churches, from family members, from, you know, from life and from, and from um, our parents and stuff like that. But when it comes time to really apply it, you know, right. we have to learn how to use that wisdom as a tool. And we forget sometimes, I think when we're in the midst of something, we kind of lose it a little bit and then we have to find a way to get back to it. And, you know, that light bulb and or our spirit brings us back in like, hey, remember all of this stuff I taught you before? This is what, the, this is what that was for, you know, for a time such as this. And I, I wanted to talk real quick, um, tap into what you were saying when a point when you realized that your husband was dying inside and I want to make it clear on the podcast too for for all of our friends listening that I'm feeling like that's kind of like an analogy um, that you're using to say that his spirit his spirit was dying and not necessarily him you know in the physical in the physical sense Um, although he was dealing with some severe depression and stuff from what it sounds like and so when you notice that his spirit was dying down because of everything that you guys were dealing with and self-esteem I'm sure was affected and things like that. How did you, 
how did you go about healing yourself first so that you can be truly there for him and help rebuild him and bring him back to himself too as well? Um, first, I had to get over me. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I had to get come to term with the word never. Mm. That was really hard. And I got to a place where I said, okay, God, if I'm never going to be a mom, if he's never going to be a dad, then what, 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 what do you want us to do? Then why are we here? Mm-hmm. And I think we don't want to deal with the term never mm-hmm. because it, it gives a, a finality to something that we think should be. And I, I had to really process the internal struggle of coming to terms with the fact that I, I, I may never be a mom. That's really hard. Um, I, I think that the people who decide to go on to be childless or, or who make that declaration that, you know, I'm not going to let infertility run my life, it's hard. And, 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 I, and I think that, that that was the process where I had to begin to heal myself. Yeah. Um, and it, it was hard too, because just being African-American um, and being a Black couple, there wasn't really anything out there or people out there talking about infertility that looks like my husband and I. So there in itself, finding a support system, definitely when I got to the term never was hard. Even before that, when I got to the term never, it, it, it was hard. And I really had to, you know, dig in and try to find a support system, especially when my husband did not want to tell anyone still I had to find within myself to talk to people and so one of my sorority sisters actually I I saw her on uh, Facebook she didn't have Mm -hmm. a baby and one day she had a baby the next day and I was able to call her and you know we had we don't really we didn't really talk but I was like okay I prayed and I felt like this was the person I needed to talk to and I wasn't sure how to say hey how did you get your baby but once I opened up and I did say that I had finally found someone that understood what I was going through. And she was right there all the time. But again, I had to get out of my own way for God to show me the things that he wanted to show me. And I started going back in my journal, you know, just reading and, and realizing that, hey, you know, here I have a whole story that I've written for years and years and years and years and years, just pouring out my soul. And I, I had recognized in little things that God was listening um, just by coming to the point where I got okay with the term never. And my friend had this quote, I'm actually putting it on Instagram. Um, and she said, a wise person once said, I have realized that the best step to take when trying to move forward in life is to accept that sometimes we have to let go of the life we expected to have and start living the life we were given. Hmm. So I had to start living the life I was given and I was given my husband. You know, I wasn't given a child. Um, And so that's when I could get over the hump then and say, okay, you know, I want you to start taking synthetic testosterone because, you know, I can tell that you're not yourself and you need the medication. That's when I could say, you know, that's when I could start back going to baby showers again. That's where we could dialogue and I not bring a baby every time we have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was not overnight, but that's when I could turn the corner and be there for my husband. Yeah, that, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm not going to add anything to what you just said, because you said everything so perfectly, but it is, 
infertility is seemingly such a female problem, mm-hmm. right? So when a man does have the diagnosis, and correct me if I'm wrong, it almost feels like, you know, he had the diagnosis, right? And you're in your, in you guys' in you guys' uh, situation, mm-hmm. but then somehow it still became the female issue, right? You know, and I think that a lot of wives probably go through that. And so you speaking up about it and being very honest and authentic about it, I think it's just, it's so brave and and really shows how much of a um, beautiful soul you are to be able to say, look, I was, I was messed up, you know, and, and I had to give my power back to the creator so that he can give me the wisdom that I needed to um, navigate in that situation and help my husband and be the supportive spouse that I, I know I can be. So I think that's amazing. And um, I really commend you for that. And then also coming out and speaking about it on social media now, and you wrote your book, Semen Secrets and all that. Um, so I want to get into the book too. And what when did the light bulb go off about the book for you? I talked with the, the friend that I, that I told you, I realized she and I could talk about infertility and I was telling her, you know, there's nothing out there. She was like, well, if there's nothing out there, then you create what you want to see. And it was like, oh, you are right about that. Mm-hmm. And so I um, started going through my journal and I started looking, uh, joining some uh, groups and seeing, you know, different women struggling with their husbands and not really knowing how to process. And so I decided to use my journal to write the book Seaman Secrets. And I came up with the name Seaman Secrets because my husband Seaman had a secret. It didn't mm-hmm. have any sperm. Mm-hmm. And it was a secret that no one knew. Like we didn't know uh, going to the doctors, you know, no one knew this secret until we were trying to have kids and then the secret came out. Yeah. And so I wrote the book because I felt like there needed to be a very candid discussion about the process that a woman goes through and that a couple goes through when they're trying to have a baby and, and it doesn't work. And definitely, you know, the idea of being African-American, being Black, you know, the society would believe that Black men are fertile. And so I really wanted to show that there, there are a lot of Black men that move in spaces that deal with infertility. They just don't want to talk about it. Um, and there are a lot of wives that move in silence too, because you want to keep up this facade, like you have it all together. And so um, I wanted to write the book to show that no, like even Christian people can fall off the wagon and roll down the hill. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it's okay because that's, that's real life. That's how it happens. And so that's why uh, I wrote the book, Seaman Secrets, um, just in hopes that it would help someone else, you know, dealing with the issue. Or if it didn't help uh, someone else, it would show them a picture of a marriage, how infertility can affect your marriage, how infertility can affect your soul, how infertility can affect your spouse, how infertility can take over your whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and also about faith. I think I wanted to put in there about how do you get your faith back when you lose your faith because you feel like, you know, God took something away from you. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I hope that when people read the book, they get, if, if even if you can't identify with the infertility piece, you get some of the other pieces of just humanness coming from the book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, um, I know it's already blessing so many people. So you guys definitely have to check out the book, 
purchase the book, read it, and then pass it along to somebody else too, because you just never know um, what people are going through, as you can see, you know. So it's truly empowering when you can talk about it and educate people about what you're going through. And, you know, you still get emotional about it, but, you know, it, it doesn't feel like you feel defeated anymore, you know? And um, so I wanted to ask you, what tools did you use aside from your faith and your core beliefs? Was there anything else that you used to help be a better support of your husband? I used the, the few people that did know, I used them to vent. Uh, I realized that I could not unload on my husband. Um, and I, I also realized that even crying in front of him about it was not yeah. helpful. Yeah. And so I needed, even though he didn't want to tell me to tell anyone, I needed someone to tell because I couldn't tell him um, anymore because that I knew that would break him down. Mm-hmm. So I would say having a support system and then someone, um, it was very important for me to have someone in my support system who had dealt with infertility because you can't, you know, you can't walk or tell people to walk where they've never been, you know? Yeah. And so even though the friends that were moms, I mean, they were very helpful because those people could, you needed people to pray for you when you couldn't pray for yourself. So mm-hmm. I appreciate them doing that. Well, there was nothing you can tell me about my situation because you just don't know. Right. So I think, um, you know, having someone that you can talk to that's dealing with infertility, even if it's not male infertility, but that has dealt with infertility can really help you process because even, you know, the man on the other side of that woman is also dealing with infertility. You know, there's a man out there that's me supporting a spouse. Mm-hmm. And so, um, how did that person navigate with their husband was very important for me. Um, another thing I did was I, I um, looked, you know, I joined some social media, social groups to try to find uh, people who were also dealing with infertility. I thought that was really important to just see other people's stories and learn that I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, even in this space, had I not joined, you know, a group, I would have never met you. Uh, So I think it's important that finding community is is very important and also getting mental health support. Um, The depression that a person goes through in this infertility diagnosis struggle, the mental anguish that they go through is real. And, you know, I, I, I read a lot of blog posts where women divorced their husbands and there was divorce because they just couldn't come to terms with you know, not being able to have a, you know, a baby and and those types of things. And so getting mental health support through counseling, you know, was uh, very important. Even if my husband didn't want to go, I needed to go talk to someone because I needed to understand how to process my feelings so I could be a better support for him. So I would say those are the tools. I would say some of the things I wish I wouldn't have done. I Googled a lot. Um, I tried to (laughs) self-diagnose and Google can put a lot of things in your head, you know, and I, I was so blessed. We were so blessed to have such an awesome urologist, the physician that we had, you know, he, he had great bedside manner and he, you know, walked us through the entire process. And so I also think a resource is finding a great doctor because they're not all one and the same. And some people can be cool. Yeah, um, and some, you yeah. know, infertility is money. It's expensive. And so I, there were a couple of doctor's offices, you know, we walked in and I felt like we were a price tag, Like, you know, I know that it's going to cost us, but I need you to be present just 
to let us process what, what is happening right now. And so I, I would encourage anyone, if you're feeling some type of way about your doctor, you're paying for that person. And so I would get a urologist and a urologist that specializes in male infertility. So find a doctor that specializes in what your particular infertility is, because not all infertility you know, specialists are one and the same. And so I wanted to make sure that we found someone that specialized in what we were dealing with in infertility because it wasn't the same as what someone else, you know, could deal with. And I wanted someone to be able to explain my Googling to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was uh, what he was able to do. So those were some of the tools. And I I would say the last tool was just um, me time, running, or sometimes I would just sit in the tub or take a shower. But another tool I used was just, just, having a mental space to hear myself think even taking like 15 minutes a day and just not watching tv not turning on anything just sitting in a room with the lights off and just breathing yeah Um, Yeah. it it was so helpful to just like okay I can do this I gotta get up today let me just process and so I, I think that that's another tool that I use to kind of just help me when I got overwhelmed, I just needed to be, and I, I need to shut everything out to just be. I think that was also very helpful. Those are some great tips and tools and reminders too, because I think the common denominator is that you have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of anybody else. Mm-hmm especially when you're the supportive spouse in the situation. And I'm using the term supportive because you are, you may be the one without the diagnosis. And so you'll be the shoulder to lean on when your spouse has their moments and you're going through the journey, even though you're going through it together. You know, you are the supportive spouse if you aren't the one with the diagnosis. And that's why I'm using that term. So I think the the common denominator here is making sure that you take care of yourself so that you can be the best support that you can with your spouse. And hey, we all mess up sometimes and we're going to continue to mess up and that's okay. And that's another thing that TJ has pointed out that's really great. So thank you, TJ, because this is so amazing. And I I really love the work that you're doing and all of the events that you've been doing online and creating conversations with our brothers and infertility. And it's just, it's, I just, you guys are just being such a blessing to people. And I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us today. Thank you. And um, I just want to leave the audience with, you know, be open to all paths to parenthood. I know that some people don't want to, I don't want to do adoption. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do surrogacy. I don't want to do, you know, it goes back to, do you want to be, do you want to be pregnant or do you want to be a parent? And you know, what one way for someone may not be the way for you, but I would say, you know, be open to all the options. I think once we opened ourselves to, to the options of parenthood and once we let go of control, you know, things happen for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would not, ha- I would not be a parent today had I just kept hanging on, hanging my hat on the idea that I wanted to be pregnant. So it, it, it's a process. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. So don't try to turn it on overnight because c- it takes a while to get to a place where you're open. And that's okay. You know, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to feel what you feel. Be honest about that, though, when, where, where you are in your process. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, TJ. Such a blessing, dear. Keep doing what you're doing and, and, and spreading peace, positivity, information. You're, you're so knowledgeable about everything. And so just keep doing what you're doing, dear, because God is truly, truly pleased with your work. I, I really do believe that. 
thank you so much. And if and if anyone wants to get in touch with me, you can uh, follow me on Instagram at TJ Payton. That's TJ and that's P-E-Y-T-E-N. Um, I also have a, a Instagram for my book at Seaman Secrets. And the book is available on Amazon. So please check it out. It's also available on my website, www.seamansecrets.com. And, you know, if, if you can connect with me. If you want to connect with uh, someone, um, just hit me up in a DM. I'm always willing to chat um, with anyone. And I also am available on Facebook, TJ Payton. So look me up. Yes. And I will have all of TJ's information in the show notes so that you guys can tap and go make it really simple and easy for you guys. If you're on Spotify though, it doesn't allow the links to show up in the description. And so just make sure that you wrote down or go back and write down her information so you can connect with her and also purchase her book on Amazon as well. But if you're on Apple iTunes and Google Podcasts and iHeart, you should be able to tap and go. I want to make that very clear because some platforms work differently, but I'll make sure that that it is on the website so you guys can tap and go from there no matter what kind of device you're on. Peace and blessings, guys.